Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Recurly is looking for a senior product designer. This is a remote position, but they are specifically looking for candidates in Boulder, Colorado, San Francisco, California, or New Orleans, Louisiana. And Moto Refi is looking for a director of product design in Washington, D.C. For just $99, your job listing will be featured on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word about it to our diverse audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to take some time and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Support for Revision Path also comes from Adobe Max. Adobe Max is the annual global creativity conference and it's going online this year, October 26th through the 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other, plus it's all free. Yep, 100% free. With over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity appearances, it's going to be one-stop shopping for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. Did I mention that it was free? You can explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers, and learn new creative skills, all totally free and online this October. To register, head to max.adobe.com. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Lisa Kane, a design strategist for nonprofit organizations and the founder of Lisa Kane Design in Chicago, Illinois. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Lisa Kane of Lisa Kane Design, and um, I'm a design strategist that helps nonprofits. Some of those nonprofits are healthcare and medical organizations, advocacy organizations, and educational institutions. I help them, their brands stand out, build awareness, raise funds, and also build their membership. Now we're in the second half of 2021. I'm kind of curious to know, how has the year been for you so far? Oh, the year has been really good to me. I've been very busy this year. This year's busy. Actually, 2020 was actually pretty busy as well. Kind of, it, it was 
a little bit interesting at first. It slowed down and had to kind of pivot and do business a little bit differently. But for the remainder of 2020 and throughout here right now at 21, it's been very busy. Do you have any sort of uh, plans or things that you want to do for your business for the rest of the year? Just continually working on great ad campaigns, finishing out some of those things, really exciting projects that I'm working on. Now, you mentioned your focus is on medical education, advocacy, kind of nonprofits. How did you come to specialize in those particular fields? Right out of art school, right out of college, I worked for, it was a nonprofit management company. And basically, they manage hundreds of nonprofits under their umbrella. And it was a group of designers that they had to do all the design work. And so I had, you know, like maybe 10 clients that I managed design, project management, things like that. And just learning how to work with nonprofits. They were called my clients and just doing projects from high tech, medical, healthcare, food manufacturing. I just became to love work for nonprofits. And so my niche for me became healthcare, medical and advocacy because I just really love helping people and making a difference in their lives. Is that what sort of really gets you truly excited about your work? It is. It is. Really seeing that project come to life and then kind of seeing the numbers. For instance, one of my clients is the Organization for Autism Research, and we created a brochure years ago to kind of send out to schools and the teachers would present it to the, the students and teach them about autism acceptance. And to date, this brochure has positively influenced, touched the lives of children, over 125 million children worldwide. So wow. to me, that's really huge. Yeah. That is huge. That's a big, uh, it's always good when, when your work is able to make that kind of a big impact. I think mm-hmm. oftentimes, I've worked with nonprofits too, and I worked with one in particular here in Atlanta, and uh, it's the Grady Health Foundation. This was years and years and years ago. But like some of the work that I did, I've actually seen like on billboards. And like, mm-hmm. that's such a, uh, <laughs> it's a good feeling. You're like driving along. You're like, wait a minute. I did that. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, seeing, seeing your stuff plastered all over the place and then getting those numbers in that this many people have been touched by it. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. What does uh, your creative process look like when you're starting on a new project? Like walk me through that. Sure. My creative process, I usually like to kick off every project with a a meeting. So meeting with the client, listening and gathering information to better understand, you know, what the client is working with. Um, Then we collaborate and strategize their goals and challenges and expectations. And then from there, I'll create like a scope of the project using a creative brief and a proposal just to make sure we're on the same page about vision, deliverables, costs, timeframes, things like that. And then once that, you know, is agreed upon, we move forward and it could be a mood board or concept development. And from that gathered information of the creative brief, find out about the client's target audience and mission and work on different concepts and different, you know, design solutions. And from there, present, present those design solutions and explain my thinking behind that and my recommendations. And usually we'll narrow down one 
direction to go in. And then there's the revision, refine process. And usually within my proposals, I'll include up to three rounds of revisions. And, you know, once we go through that, there's delivery or production. Now, I hope for people that are listening, they kind of got a sense of like, that's a pretty like rock solid way when it comes down to sort of starting the process. I mean, part of it is that sort of creative and and strategy work. But then as you're mentioning, you're getting a proposal, you're making sure that you and the client are really like on the same page as you move forward is Mm -hmm. super important because nonprofits, they can sometimes change on a dime. Like (laughs) they may want something (laughs) completely different midway in the project. And you have to make sure that you have something that can sort of hold them to what they, they promised would come from the project. Exactly. Now, do you mostly do print design or or do you kind of do a mix of that with other mediums? I think it's a mix, but more heavily print. Yes. Mm-hmm. Usually I'll create a theme around something, say for nonprofits do a lot of event publication, event collateral, things like that. And so I'll create a theme around that and they, that is printed on everything. If it's around an event, then it's their lanyards, their brochures, their signage, and then it can go digital where it's social media, banner ads, and even apps. Now, aside from Lisa Kane Design, which you've done now for, what, 20 plus years? 20 plus years, yeah. Officially, though, officially, it's 16 years. That's when I truly got the business license, and uh-huh. this is the name that I decided upon. But yeah, before I was like just kind of freelancing and kind of burning the candle at both ends, working a full-time job and freelancing on the side and kind of making my path to truly going into my own business. I think once you make it past 15, you can round up to 20. <laughs> I think that's acceptable. <laughs> but yeah, aside from Lisa Kane Design, you also have a company with your husband. Is that right? That's right. It's it's called uh, Black Action Tees. Black Action Tees is a pop culture website that offers t-shirts. And the t-shirts feature superheroes, music culture, sneaker culture, and TV and movie pop culture. I think I told you this when we talked earlier, but I actually had ordered something from Black Action Tees like way right. back in, <laughs> I think it was like 2000, maybe 2010, 2011, something like that. I think, yeah, I think so. Probably about 10 years. Yeah. 10 yeah. Years first started. Yeah. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I hope the experience was really good and you really enjoyed your teas. Yeah. Do you and your husband kind of blend business like that a lot? Like, I mean, you have your, you have that business with him with Black Action Tees, but does he end up doing anything with Lisa K Design or is that just a separate thing? You know what? <laughs> he doesn't do any of the design, but he's an IT guy. So, you know, he does IT as his professional. He's an IT manager, but he's my IT guy. So <laughs> that's as far as it goes. I gotcha. Now, we've gotten to know, you know, a bit about your work and everything, um, and we'll probably dive more into like specific things later. But tell me about where you're from. I know you're located in Chicago. Is that where you're originally from? Mm-hmm. I'm originally from South Side of Chicago, grew up in South Side, and then, yeah, moved to the South Suburbs in the mid-70s. Okay. What was it like growing up in Chicago back then? good i think it was a really good experience i mean we had a a neighborhood full of kids i remember playing you know you had to come in when the street lights came on things like that but it was a really good experience lots of great kids to play with 
families intact still in the 70s. I'm dating myself, yes. <laughs> but it, it was a wonderful experience growing up in the city. Did you get exposed to a lot of like design and art growing up? The only real exposure that I had creatively was sitting at the kitchen table with my grandpa, and he would teach me how to draw different things. And then I don't know if you remember the TV guide, there was like this ad on the back and it would say, draw this pirate and you can win a scholarship to art school. Oh yeah. It would be like a pirate or like a turtle or something like that. Yeah. I remember that. And so I would draw that and I would send it. I was too young, but I would draw it and send it in, but I would never hear back from them. So that was pretty much the extent of, of being creative. I also had this set of books that it was kind of like a sister set that came with an encyclopedia set. And there was this one particular book called Make and Do. And so it was a book full of crafts and I would just do crafts endlessly in that book. So that was pretty much the extent of being creative at a young age. Now, was your family kind of supportive of you going into design? Absolutely not. (laughs) They came came from that generation of thinking that design, would you would become a starving artist. I remember back in high school, I had finished all of my graduation requirements as far as credit. So I was able to take a lot of electives. So I chose to take nothing but art and photography classes and just be totally immersed in my last year. And it was absolutely wonderful. I had wonderful art teachers. And I think from that experience, that's where I knew and chose that, you know, I wanted to be a graphic designer. They had alumni come in and show their portfolios from art schools. And it was just so inspiring and exciting. And eventually you started out, though, studying in visual communications, even though your your parents didn't really, unfortunately, support you going into that. That's correct. I remember I wanted, I got a, a catalog for the Art Institute of Chicago, and I was so excited. And I um, showed my dad and he saw one look at the, the tuition costs and he was like, uh, why don't you take some secretarial classes at the local community college? Oh, yeah, <laughs> we butt heads on that. We butt heads. But again, he came from that generation where I just, they couldn't see it. He meant well. And I have to say that years later, when I did you know, go to a different art school, he bought my first Mac. So he was supported down the line. <laughs> okay. So you're at Prairie State College majoring in, uh, at back then it was called visual communications. Yep. Visual communications. That's right. And back then, you know, nothing was computerized yet. So, you know, I was taking illustration classes and like intro to graphic design, things like that. And so we used, I mean, my supply list at the art store, you had this long list, you had to go get all these supplies for for your classes. And it was things like hot press boards, Zipatone technical pens and Prisma colors with Letraset type that you kind of rub down mm-hmm. <laughs> and using light boxes and making folding dummies for brochures. Everything was really hands on. I remember walking with those gigantic portfolios and little tackle box with all your things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of the design back then was really, I mean, of course it was tactile because the personal computer, I think was, was not fully in homes at that point. I know it was available, but it was yeah. really expensive. 
Mm-hmm. I remember seeing ads for Radio Shack for the tan. I think it was the Tandy, Tandy. the Tandy One Thousand. I believe <laughs> right. it was like sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred. It was expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. and I mean for for folks that are listening, like you know, that's about the cost now of like maybe a souped up you know MacBook Pro or something like that. But right. I mean, right. you're talking something that had maybe maybe 512 megabytes of ram <laughs> like there's no way you're really designing anything on something like anything. that it was most it was basically just a very expensive calculator at that point point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. and, and at Prairie state they they did have a computer lab and they had like a handful of i think they were apple 2e's oh goodness <laughs> Yeah, so you know you couldn't really do much on it at all. Draw a circle and put some color in it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and even if you really drew a circle, it wasn't, like, smooth. It was sort of like a right. jagged kind of... Right. Yeah, I <laughs> I remember those times very fondly. I started out... I remember I was learning basic, and I'm, I'm dating myself by saying this, but I was learning <laughs> basic in elementary school, and they were... I mean, like, little graphic stuff, like you'd make a rocket... Mm-hmm. Or something mm-hmm. like that. And I mean, it was very rudimentary stuff compared to, you know, certainly what you can do now. But it's amazing to see how in such a fairly short amount of time, how much design on computers has really kind of taken over and changed and grown. It's it's amazing. It, it is amazing. It really is. And you have to never stop learning and keep up with all of it. Yeah. But- <laughs> so from Prairie State, you ended up going to the Art Institute's. But you you studied a different kind of sort of design. Can you talk about that? Sure. So I decided I wasn't sure about graphic design. I trying to just kind of find my way, and I discovered the Art Institute of Illinois, which at the time was called Ravel College of Design. And I decided to go for fashion merchandising with a minor in visual merchandising. At the time, it was kind of interesting being middle class and it was kind of hard not being able to get a student loan for like your full four years it it's like you ran out of money and you know you, your parents needed to get a plus loan you didn't qualify for grants it was it was kind of hard mm-hmm. so and that's exactly what happened i finished my first year and couldn't get another loan my dad couldn't get another loan i decided to go ahead and finish out my minor which was in fashion merchandising finished that. And then I was able to get a job at a big department store downtown Chicago. I was already working there as a salesperson. So making, you know, that move into that position, you know, was fairly easy. And so it was exciting. I thought once I got that job, I thought I had made it. (laughs) (laughs) I was a, a visual display designer down there and it was fun. And again, it was a lot of physical work, but a lot of fun. And so when you say it was physical work, like you were, would you were like designing storefronts and stuff like that? We designed all of the, the store windows and then we did interior design and we okay. set up for fashion shows, things like that. So it was, a, it was like set design and prop building. Um, I remember once we had to spray paint hundreds of styrofoam like trumpets and then glue them to like eight foot panels. So we were, we were making like sets and backdrops and things like that wow yeah i mean it's interesting like the design it sounds like the design got even more 
I guess I don't want to use the term analog, but like it got a lot more physical, I would say, because you're now really building the designs that you want to see. Right, right. And then on top of just the set design, you know, you were dealing with these really heavy, expensive mannequins. And so like a rite of passage for being a visual display designer is learning how to strike a mannequin. And basically it's posing. But what you did was you wrapped wire around the mannequin's waist and then it would be under the clothes and then you would have to attach nails to the end and you would actually so i'd be walking around with a hammer all day and you're (laughs) hammering these nails and striking the mannequins so they're you know they're standing up and styling a wig was a a rite of passage and getting burned with a glue gun on a regular basis because you had to do everything you had to dress this mannequin from head to toe and that meant clothes shoes, sometimes pantyhose, even the jewelry. It was fun. It was interesting and very physical. And now how often were you kind of like doing these displays? On a weekly basis. So there were... Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. The the downtown, that that store was eight floors. So, yeah, there was a whole team of us. That was interior windows. Yeah, everything. And then there's like these little light boxes. You did like the cosmetic displays. You had home furnishings. There were all the different departments. That sounds kind of thrilling, actually, to be able to kind of (laughs) turn around and do that so quickly every week. (laughs) It was. It was fun. It was, again, a lot of physical work. And at the same time, the building that we were in, it was it's a Chicago landmark. So a lot of times, you know, we would be goofing off and we would go and explore this building. This building was built in 1904. The architect, Louis Sullivan, did it. And it okay. had like this beautiful, elaborate rotunda entrance and be exploring. And we found like hidden staircases that were absolutely beautiful and beautiful tile floors and there's like sub 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 basement so yeah we were running around there just having fun that's amazing i mean for people that want to look up or or have not heard of lewis sullivan he was like the father of modern architecture Mm -hmm. like he was a mentor to to frank lloyd wright like a lot of what i think people see now in skyscrapers is really thanks to him Mm -hmm. and the building was the uh, carson perry scott building okay Wow, that's <laughs> that's amazing. So you were doing that while you were at art institutes, or was that after you left there? It was after. It was right after I left there. Yeah. Okay. Why did you decide to sort of make that shift from visual communications to merchandising like that? It just seemed more exciting to me at the time. And again, you know, I'm young and I'm just trying to find myself. So just trying out something new. And, and that's something that I do encourage up and coming designers, don't be afraid to just be take chances and, and try out new things. Mm. So aside from doing that kind of like storefront set building kind of work, what other kind of career experiences did you have after you graduated from the Art Institute? Well, after that, I decided actually, <laughs> I did kind of a detour. And believe it or not, I ended up getting secretary experience. <laughs> I became an administrative assistant. Okay. It, it, I guess, again, trying to find myself. And I ended up working for the Nutrasweet company. 
Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a big company at the time. This was in like the early 90s, mid 90s. And they had a Mac there that no one knew how to use. So I volunteered and they decided to send me back to school. And so I ended up at the Illinois Academy of Design and Technology. And so there, computers were for, for the design community and design studios and all of that. They were starting to make that transition from doing everything by hand to going digital and doing everything on the computer. I remember at the time, it was a lot of animosity between new people coming in and people like old school people that just refused. They would not learn. They would not get computer skills. So it was a good time, a good transition to kind of be on that cutting edge of learning. Uh, There I learned how to do Photoshop. I think it was Photoshop like 2.0 and and CorelDRAW and some 3D animation applications. And so by the time I finished that, I had three job offers before I graduated. Oh, nice. So even then, like you have kind of this burgeoning, I guess this burgeoning rise of design on computers. And now that you've learned Mm -hmm. these tools or you're learning these tools, it's opening up these different opportunities. Right. Right. Because, you know, when I graduated, it was a student portfolio, but I think they could see the creativity there and the, the, the ideas that were sparked. But more importantly, they knew how to work within these applications. So that was huge at the time. Would you say that your your work in fashion merchandising kind of helped with that, though? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think just from doing fashion merchandising or, or visual merchandising, project management, bringing something together like with a, on a set you know we had to like plan things out on paper first mm-hmm. and decide what was going to go where and then this color scheme there's always a theme of, about something so that kind of translated to design absolutely i mean i would imagine also just being able to come up with those concepts i mean that's creative mm-hmm. direction that's art direction right. i mean those are things that right. if you look at a blank like Photoshop canvas or something as your stage, like you can kind of bring right. those same visual elements in with perspective and sizing and all that sort of stuff. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now you said that you came through the back door to become a designer at age 30. Tell me what does that mean? <laughs> Cause it sounds like you were already doing a lot of design, you know? Well, you know what, for me, I felt like I truly didn't arrive until after I graduated from the Illinois Academy of Design and Technology, and I was actually doing graphic design on the computer. So Hmm. that was at age 30, you know, when the NutraSuite company sent me back to school. And yeah, I felt like, okay, this it's official now. And I officially have the title, you know, graphic designer. Okay. I mean, aside from, I guess, getting that title, did that, I'm curious, like, did your family at that point kind of see like, oh, this is something like serious? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even when I was in school, they finally came around. Like I said, my dad, he was the one while I was in school because it was rough. You know, you had all these projects to do and they had a computer lab, but you needed something at home to work on. And so he bought me my first Mac. And that was what nineteen ninety six, and it it wasn't inexpensive at the time. You know, yeah. we're talking. <laughs> you had to get the modem and everything else separately, and yeah. And speaking of modems, my first job, so out of school, was with U.S. Robotics, who actually built the modems. 
Mm-hmm. That was quite interesting. So now you've made this shift. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, kind of trying to follow this. So you've made this shift now from visual merchandising to graphic design. Mm-hmm. How was the work different? I mean, aside from, you know, obviously physical to digital, but how was the work different that you were doing now? I think with graphic design, I mean, it just opened up a whole new world. I think I, I personally felt like the possibilities was endless to be more creative. As a visual display designer, you just, you're working at this one particular place and you're doing stuff at one location. Mm-hmm. But as a graphic designer, is like endless possibilities to creativity. You know, there's always different projects coming up and not only that, but it could be different clients, different organizations or companies. Yeah. So the, the creativity is endless. One thing that I really remember from those like early days of kind of digital graphic design, it really was like you could do anything you wanted. It was like, I don't want to say it was like the wild, wild west, because that that (laughs) implies like some level of lawlessness. But like you really could get away with anything because Mm -hmm. the tools were so accessible, like everyone can point and click, but Mm -hmm. not everyone's going to do the same combination of filters or colors or, you know, even settings on certain things. And so you end up coming up with just the wildest kind of designs just by playing around, I felt like there was a lot more play back then to get to kind of what the the end result could be. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I actually started creating websites with my husband. At the time we were dating and we were doing websites. I created my first, my website, my portfolio website, like in 98. And I thought it was like the coolest thing because it was like this crocodile on the front. Remember, it was like landing pages and it was like maybe a little <laughs> bit of animation. I thought I was so cool because my crocodile's eye was like winking at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those early, those early mm-hmm. animated gifts. I love those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you kind of continued on in your career, you worked in-house as a designer for Smith Buckland. And then you were an associate creative director at Urban Ministries, Inc. When you look back at those particular experiences, what did they teach you? I think most importantly, they taught me how to work with my clients, how to project manage everything, stay on timelines, stay within budgets, and be creative at the same time. They were invaluable experiences. Were they like different? Because I was, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining an urban ministries that's kind of more religious, whereas Smith Buckland, I, I guess you could say is secular. Yeah. I don't know. Like, was it a big difference in just like the type of work that you were doing? Yeah. Smith Buckland was very, very fast paced and you had to count for every 15 minutes of our time so they could bill the client. And you just, if Ooh. you had to go to the bathroom, you had to figure out a way to pad that in there. So wow. <laughs> it was it was rough, but at the same time, it was such a good learning experience and truly taught me everything about, you know, working with nonprofits and urban ministries. Definitely. It, it's a publications company and way more laid back. I designed the vacation Bible school curriculum there. So. Mm-hmm. They're much more laid back and actually even just the attitude of it, they were way more appreciative of your work. You know, they yeah. 
you felt valued there. Yeah. Is that where the seed was kind of planted for starting it, your own studio? It was. It was because at that time I decided to go part time. They allowed me to work part time and I started again burning the candle at both ends and I would work like till 3 a.m. in the morning on my freelance projects and then get up and go to work. And yeah, but it, it was definitely the stepping stone to, to build Lisa King Design. Aside from it sort of being that stepping stone of seeing how your work impacted people, did you just kind of feel at this point like you were just ready to strike out on your own? Absolutely. Cause, because at the time, I had small kids that I desperately wanted to be here for. Um, mm. My son, at the time, we had found out he was diagnosed beyond the autism spectrum and he was put in a special pre-K class and I just I really needed to be there for him so yeah I was driven to be here be home and run my own business oh interesting what do you wish you would have been told about the design industry when you first started I think that the number one thing and it's something that I'm truly still working on to this day and that's boundaries healthy boundaries So what I mean by that is it's okay to say no to some things, being selective in the type of projects that you want to work on, the type of budgets you want to work within. That's super important to determine and work within. Who are some of the the mentors and people that have really kind of helped you out along the way as you sort of rose as a designer? Well, besides my high school teachers, there was one particular person that I actually I grew up with. I knew I've known him since first grade. And I remember he, he could draw really, really well in grammar school. So I was kind of drawn to him. And we remained friends over the years. He's a graphic designer. And at the time, he was working for uh, Frankel. It's an ad agency in Chicago. But he was also freelancing for Burrell Communications. And so I would go to his design studio and he'd let me, you know, just kind of hang out and work on some of the stuff he was working on here and there and kind of built my skills. But then there was one particular project that stood out. It was a a media kit for the Sprite Voltron ad campaign. And it featured rap artists like Fat Joe, Goody Mob, Common, and um, Mac-10. So it it was really cool to work on that project. And at that time, we needed stock art. Stock art was really, really expensive at that time. So I remember they wanted like a sky created for, you know, like a Voltron theme and with stars. And instead of buying that that stock art that was like $300, <laughs> I like hand placed each star in the background. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's on my Instagram page if you wanted to take a look at it. But yeah, I'm like, I'm super proud of that project. That was like in, that was in 98, actually. Yeah. That's where that uh, visual merchandising muscle kicked in. <laughs> You're like, I just got to go and do it. That was a really, God, I remember that campaign too. That was dope. They had, they had two of them. There was one that had male rappers with Voltron. And then I remember there was one with, uh, with women rappers that was more like, I think like Kung Fu based. I I think they both might have been Kung Fu. Okay. I, there was one I I remember that had, oh God, who was on? I think it was Eve, Angie Martinez. I don't remember who else was, uh, part of the like fighting, squad but the the last person they fought against was roxanne shante like they unmask <laughs> the villain and it's uh-huh. like oh i remember those those are really good <laughs> yeah 
Is there any advice about like design or about your career that's really stuck with you over the years? I would say, uh, you know what? My teacher back in art school, she said, don't work for free (laughs) Mm. to get a deposit. And you know what? It's good advice. Don't work for free. Don't give your work away. But however, at the same time, like currently, there's a project that I'm working on. And um, it's a, a newly created nonprofit organization. And it's a school. They're teaching kids with disabilities how to like do automotive and carpentry and stuff like that. So I think it's okay to do a pro bono project every once in a while for a good cause. It means something to you. Yeah. What is it that you're obsessed with these days? Sleep. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say the dog. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, sleep is, I mean, look, sleep, sleep, I think is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm probably going to take a nap after this interview, but sleep, I, I totally, <laughs> totally understand that. Yeah. Actually, my dog, my dog, I'm not obsessed with him, but he is my inspiration. There's this quote that says, to grow creatively, you must give yourself time to play. So, mm. My dog is my hobby. He's my play. It's it's humorous dog photography, and it's kind of my inspiration and kind of you know a way to get away from things and have some fun. Now, speaking of of having fun, there's one thing that you had shared with me before we recorded. I just I have to bring it up because I think it's just so dope. You were a house music backup singer <laughs> once yeah. upon a time. <laughs> In another lifetime. <laughs> in another lifetime. Please tell me about that. Cause I, I, you sent a YouTube video and I can put it in the show notes if people want to check it out. But like, okay. I noticed it was like, oh, it was like Frankie Knuckles production. Like, I have to know how did this happen? Yeah. 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 That I, I actually, I, I was dating Jamie Prinzel at the time. I was right out of, right out of high school. So yeah. Okay. This the Curry State College era. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, and so he needed a backup singer, and you know, at the time we he was you know making music actually out of his home, and we went to the studio, and I did my part, and at that time there was no sampling, so that part that you hear, I'm saying over and over, and I had to say it perfectly. Oh wow! Yeah. (laughs) So that 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 time was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We performed in a lot of Chicago clubs. We went to New York and performed. That was a whole nother lifetime. Now, were you just on this one record or did you do others? Just that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's quite a claim to fame though. That's really dope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really cool. Is there anything that you would like to do in your career that you haven't done yet? There is actually, actually, I want to do a kind of a pivot. I guess this would be kind of a a career slash hobby thing, but I would love to get into doing newborn photography. Mm. Photography is kind of my hobby, and I just I absolutely love newborn photography. So I'm I'm kind of working on really perfecting my craft in that, and that's something that I see myself doing somewhere down the road. Do you feel creatively satisfied now? I do. I do. I actually absolutely love what I do. I absolutely love campaigns, the ad campaigns that I'm working on currently. I'm doing some really exciting projects with a a Chicago PR firm. 
yes, I, I love what I do. Now, after, I mean, I know you've had a storied history as a designer, both with your studio as well as this kind of physical design work with visual merchandising. But when you look back over all of that, especially with being in the game as long as you have, what's next? Like, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What kind of work do you want to be doing? I think I want to focus more on, like I said, I love the ad campaigns. I'm not sure if I'll get away from nonprofits. Right now, I'm working on some things with the Chicago Department of Public Health. And um, we're also creating like a a food bank app. So I want to do more things like that. It's advocacy, but not so much nonprofit. Like you said earlier, just seeing stuff come to life and seeing it kind of plastered all over the place is really exciting. I want to get more into that. Well, Lisa, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? Um, my website is Lisa Kane Design. That's L-I-S-A-C-A-I-N Design or on Instagram at Lisa Kane Design. All right. Sounds good. Well, Lisa Kane, I want to thank you so much, so, so much for coming on the show. I, you know, when I reached out to you initially, I really wanted to have you on to talk about just the fact that you've had your studio for 20 years and the work that you've done. Cause I think that's something that's so rare that we really hear about from black women. I don't know if I mentioned this when I, when I initially reached out to you, but I had saw you in a, I think it was a, a graphic design USA, like people oh, to watch yeah. for one year. And I was like, I had put your name down on my outreach list. Like I'm going to get around back. I'm going to come back to Lisa one day. And I'm glad now to have been able to, to do so and to talk with you and learn more about you. And of course, share your story of how you have come up in the design industry throughout the years. I think it's really inspiring. And hopefully for people that are listening, they get something out of this too, to know that they can do their, you know, they can sort of accomplish their dreams in design like you have. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Big, big thanks to Lisa Kane. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lisa and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, Check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Support for Revision Path also comes from Adobe Max. Adobe Max is the annual global creativity conference and it's going online this year, October 26th through the 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other. Plus, it's all free. Yep, 100% free. With over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity appearances, it's going to be one-stop shopping for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. Did I mention it's free? Explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers, and learn new creative skills, all totally free and online this October. To register, head to max.adobe.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. 
This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. What did you think of this interview? As a matter of fact, what did you think about Revision Path and this podcast and everything overall? Please don't be a stranger. We love to hear from you, so hit us up. You can hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word, or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.